Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. One of the uh, w- one of the groups of people that have been most vilified for their participation in the January 6th riot at the Capitol were the Oath Keepers, and they have been sentenced pretty harshly. They've gotten sentences of four years, eight years, 12 years, 18 years in prison. Um, but it is now seemingly more apparent that the key testimony that put them there was perjured. I want to welcome to the uh, program Steve Baker. He's an investigative reporter for Blaze Media. He's based in Raleigh, um, and he's on Locals.com as the pragmatic constitutionalist. And I want to welcome him to the show. Steve, how are you, sir? Hey, Pete. I'm great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate you making the time. Uh, I know this is very busy for you, what with uh, the report, but also you know other stuff going on with you. So first off, let me get a little bit of your background for folks. Um, are you are you like an investigative journalist uh, by training, by trade, or what? Like, what's your background? Uh, my background is actually as a lifelong musician. In fact, I've lived in North Carolina for 30 years and been in the music business there. Uh, I have just recently retired all of my bands that I've worked with because that thing that I've been doing for 25 or so years on the side, I, you know, it was kind of what they call a side hustle or uh, my writing hobby was doing investigative um, journalism and, in, in a, you know, a, a more analysis and opinion kind of way, uh, politics. And then of course, when the COVID lockdowns came, then I ramped that up and actually left town and started hitting the road and started interviewing people around the country. I did, I visited 28 states during the lockdowns for one thing, just to get out of North Carolina, because as you recall, yes, uh, it was, it was a pretty brutalized the situation there. And then being in the music business, I wasn't allowed to work at all for a year and a half because of governor Cooper's mandates. So that was uh, the reality for me. So what ended up happening is as the lockdowns continued, two weeks to flatten the curve became two months became, you know, apparent that it might be two years that I decided to take that, which I had been doing, uh, as I said, my side hustle, move that to the captain's chair of my life and then move my music career to the co-pilot's seat. Then everything just exploded since then because of COVID, the work I was doing there, the work that I was doing on January 6th, uh, the subsequent investigations and the revelations that we've made uh, since then have just uh, caused me to have to um, actually retire my, my co-pilot seat as well. So it's full on now doing the investigative journalism thing for the Blaze. Yeah. So um, were you, so as I understand it, and I should give a shout out also to Stephen Horn, uh, who uh, who put me on to you as a lead the other day. Um, and so I appreciate him and I've talked with him before in the past, but um so, uh, you, so you were at the Capitol on January sixth. Is that right? That's correct. All right. And were you there as a journalist or uh, or as a protester or a demonstrator? No, I was actually myself and another writer, uh, actually a very successful writer. I'm not, I'm not going to name him because he he has managed to fly under the radar of this whole 
um, January 6th dragnet, even though he didn't go into the Capitol or do anything untoward himself. But he and I both went to cover the event. And so I simply uh, went up with my camera, my man-on-the-street microphone, my tripod, with the intention of doing interviews that day because I thought that, uh, according to the president, you know, he said it was going to be wild. And with the election controversy in full swing, I just assumed that maybe somebody from that stage that day at the Ellipse at his rally would release the Kraken, as they said. And, of course, that didn't happen. Um, but something else developed that day that no one, uh, none of us expected. And so I just followed the story where the story went. So, and I know Stephen uh, faced prosecution. I think he got probation, which was uh, good that he's staying out of jail, but because he was there recording as well as a as a citizen journalist. Are, are you looking at any kind of ramifications like he was? Yes, they've been threatening me for over two years now. I did FBI uh, interview back in July of twenty one, so only six months after January sixth, and then they contacted my attorney in November of 21, the Department of Justice did, and informed my attorney that I was going to be charged within the week. Now, this was the week before Thanksgiving of 2021. So the Thanksgiving week went by, and then another week, and then a month, and then a year. We didn't hear from them for 20 months. After, after informing me that I would be charged within the week, they went silent. And then in August of this year, uh, we got uh, another notice from the FBI, and it was a grand jury subpoena for all of my work on January 26th, or January 6th. So we uh, responded favorably and cooperatively to the, the subpoena. We did not um, uh, protest on First Amendment or press privilege grounds, anything like that. But we did give them the videos that they asked for. And then another four months passed, and then two weeks before Christmas, or 10 days before Christmas, they uh, notified my attorney once again and said this time that I was going to have to come in and self-surrender there at the courthouse in Raleigh on the Tuesday before Christmas. Uh, that was what they were going to require of me. And then the media went into high gear. I, mean, I was just uh, stunned and blessed and uh, blown away by the response, not only from the blaze itself, because they went into high gear, but I mean, everyone from Tucker to Tim pool to, uh, I mean, just down the line, it was, it was, it was amazing. The coverage that that threat received in a 30 hour period, which apparently backed them off because then before close of business that Friday, I was actually in DC that day that I was, I had received that notification. And when, before the Department of Justice shut down on the very next day, the FBI agent called my attorney yet again and said that we're going to delay his self-surrender until sometime after Christmas. Then, <laughs> it, it, it just continues on, Pete. I don't mean to bore you. No, no. It's, it's interesting to hear the timeline. I'm a, I'm a big timeline guy. That's why I, I, I watched your, yeah. uh, your report on it. And to me, those are always – I'm a former reporter, and so to me, the timeline it always spells out the case. And I always want to see the, yeah. the, the TikTok, you know? Yeah. So um, uh, the, in the week between Christmas and New Year's, my attorney once again – spoke to, this time, the uh, assistant U.S. attorney in D.C. who was handling my case and asked when I was going to have to surrender. And they said, well, 
At this point, we think it's going to be sometime in mid-January and that we'll give uh, your client, meaning me, seven to ten days notice and that I would be um, then required to, to come in and present myself and go through the whole you know routine of processing and that I would be, after processing and standing before a magistrate, I would be released on my own recognizance. They have, they have assured me over and over again that they have no intention to hold me. So here we are. Um, it's now, uh, I don't even know what day it is. The 17th, mid-January. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we're, we're past mid-January now. And we still haven't heard from them. And so we are just waiting to see. But I will tell you and in your audience one other thing. In that last conversation that my attorney had with the U.S. attorney, he asked him, what, what is my client facing? What charges is Mr. Baker facing? And the assistant U.S. attorney refused to give him even an idea of what those charges were. And the reason for that was what was because he said, because Mr. Baker will immediately tweet that information out. <laughs> As if that, I didn't know there was a law. No, that, but, uh, <laughs> I was unaware of that as well. So it, 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 it betrays a knowledge that there is a certain amount of publicity uh, around your case that they wish to avoid. And I suspect it might have something to do with your October report, and now your report that that has been your second report that's come out that's kind of buttressed the 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 original reporting, which is about uh, two individuals, David Lazarus and Harry Dunn. So, uh, can I hold you over for the break and do a second uh, chat with you about the specifics of this report that you've done? Yeah, absolutely. All right, great. Let me put you on hold. We'll have more with Steve Baker, investigative reporter for the Blaze, and uh, he's based in Raleigh, and you can read. Uh, his work there at theblaze.com, but also uh, the Pragmatic Constitutionalist on locals.com. All right. Do the current world events have you wondering whether we are teetering on the edge of catastrophe? Are you concerned it's going to reach our shores? Okay. So what are you doing about your concerns? Let me help. Carolina Readiness Supply at carolinareadiness.com. Whether you're looking to expand your emergency preparedness supplies or you have no idea where to even begin, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you. Food, water purifiers, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies even. Because being prepared is just smart. Carolina Readiness Supply has 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials that you'll need for any kind of emergency. In Waynesville and always at carolinareadiness.com veteran-owned Carolina readiness supply will you be ready when the lights go out talking with Stephen baker steve baker he's an investigative reporter for the blaze blaze media and he is based in raleigh by the way you can follow him uh on the x twitter machine tpc for usa at tpc for usa that's the number for usa um so steve back in october you did was this that was your first story on these two uh, federal agents. One is a Capitol Police officer, right? The other is a special agent uh, who's on Nancy Pelosi or was on Nancy Pelosi's security detail. Uh, was October the first story you did on them? That was the first reveal that we gave on the combo of the two. Now, we had already been in development of stories on Officer Dunn uh, separately, but that's Again, as I say, that's another story. In fact, we're doing an entire series on the uh, day in the life of Officer Dunn on January 6th. As you know, he's running for Congress now, has uh, left the Capitol Police. And I think that the nation needs to know a little bit more about uh, Mr. Harry Dunn. Right. So Harry Dunn, Capitol Police officer. Uh, let's start with him. 
he had uh, he had given the FBI, uh, according to your uh, initial reports, right? He had told the FBI uh, on on two different occasions two different stories about his interaction with these oath keepers when everybody had poured into the Capitol building, right? He the oath keepers yeah. had said that they had formed a protective barrier between Officer Dunn and the protesters inside, right? That is correct. And that is exactly what they did. Uh, as you mentioned, at the very top of the hour, the Oath Keepers are probably the most vilified, uh, the most set up. The, certainly they were made the patsies and the scapegoats uh, of the uh, January 1st alleged insurrection because the government, in the very opening statement of their trial, pointed at them speaking to the jury and said, these were the leaders of the insurrection. And I'm telling you, Pete, nothing could be more <laughs> further from the truth. Okay, so the, the, and this is not, and you've made this point in repeated interviews I've watched with you, that uh, this is not about, this story that you're doing is not about the Oath Keepers per se. This is about the conduct and the trial uh, and the actions of the attorneys uh, that, that tried the Oath Keepers, because you've got Harry Dunn, who told the FBI at first that it was not an antagonistic kind of um, uh, interaction with the Oath Keepers, but then months later the FBI brings him back in and he tells them a different story and says that they were antagonistic towards him, and that then uh, uh, gives rise to this other guy, David Lazarus, no pun intended, but David Lazarus now, uh, he becomes a part of this, this case. Explain his role. Yeah, there was really a weakness in this Harry Dunn testimony, particularly if the FBI interviews the actual documents they call uh, 302s, which is an agent's account of those of those interviews, were ever leaked to the public. The defense teams had those documents, but they could not share that uh, with the public at large, and so the. The problem that the Department of Justice had was this weakness and contradiction in Harry Dunn's statement and then in his subsequent testimony, which would happen in the trial. So they brought in Pelosi's uh, dignitary protection detail um, agent, special agent, David Lazarus. That's a division of the Capitol Police. And he was also brought into the trial on the same day. In fact, his, his testimony followed Harry Dunn's. They were back to back. And basically, the reason why they had him there was to bolster Harry Dunn's weakness in his testimony and and then tell the jury that he had witnessed this highly antagonistic confrontation between the Oath Keepers and Officer Dunn, quote-unquote, three or four times as he was moving in and out of the crowd there to rescue about a dozen of Nancy Pelosi's staffers. The problem with that, as we've detailed at great length in our story and very with great specificity and with the actual capital CCTV cameras with time codes, is that Lazarus was never there. He couldn't have seen that, not three or four times, not one time, not at all. By the time he arrived, according to the cameras, and we traced it, we spent three days, Pete, me and my Blaze team, tracing his every step in that capital. And we traced him through the tunnels over to the Senate office buildings where he was when the Oath Keeper Harry Dunn encounter began. And he did not make it back over into that area where he was until long after the Oath Keepers had already left the building. So you say you've reviewed the video. Why, why didn't the lawyers for the Oath Keepers use this? Uh, that's, that's a great question, because... 
the lawyers did not know that these videos existed because in the trials, the Department of Justice only made available to all of the lawyers for all of the January 6th defendants only about 650 of the 1,700 cameras in the Capitol complex. Now, you would think maybe those cameras down in the tunnels across the street were not germane to specific trials, but shouldn't the uh, defendants and their attorneys have the right to review everything about somebody who's going to testify against their clients? And that's what happened. These videos were never made available. Their existence was not even known by the defense teams at the time of the trial. So why did it? Why do you have them now, and why did it take so long for them to get out? Well, the, the reason I have them is because I was sitting in the trial. I was there every day of that nine-week uh, first Oathkeeper trial back in October of 22, and my radar started pinging in the very first days of the trial. Uh, I won't get into great detail about why, but my, you know, my, I knew something was wrong. I knew, I knew that there was something being hidden, some, there was a lie being told. And then when I started the process of piecing and putting the, the pieces of this puzzle together, I started seeing more and more of the corruption, more and more of the cover-up involved, all the way starting at the DOJ through the, the uh, Federal Bureau of Investigation, down inside the Capitol Police, which is an incredibly corrupt organization. And then as I started to uh, see these things come to light in my, my own mind, I eventually was granted access. I was one of the first five journalists granted access to the Capitol CCTV uh, viewing room. And in that process, I knew exactly what I was looking for and where I was going. And so it was just a matter of finding where Lazarus was at a particular time that day and then working my way backwards and following his trail throughout that entire timeline. So uh, last question real quick. I got about a minute. Um, You've, so now you've got Harry Dunn potentially perjuring himself. You've got David Lazarus uh, potentially perjuring himself in order to corroborate Harry Dunn's perjured testimony. So obviously Capitol Police, uh, they're, they're going to be very interested to investigate this, right? Well, actually, we have we have sources inside Capitol Police. Uh, we have sources that are actually uh, at command level who keep me informed of uh, certain of these discussions. And as just as of yesterday, I was informed that the current chief of the Capitol Police, uh, Thomas Manger, has no intention of investigating Lazarus whatsoever. What about Congress? That's another story. Uh, in fact, there are discussions taking place, even as you and I are on this phone right now, there are three different committees who are on a conference call with Capitol Police at this moment to discuss this matter. All right. Uh, Steve Baker, please uh, keep us in mind to keep us informed. I'll be watching your uh, your Twitter feed as well, Blaze Media as well, theblaze.com. Uh, good luck to you, and I appreciate your time, sir. Hey, thank you so much, and uh, I hope you guys are staying warm there in Charlotte. Yeah, as warm as we can be. Yeah, as warm, as warm as we can be. All right, Steve Baker, thank you, sir. Got an email here from Denny. Pete, thanks so much for bringing on Mr. Baker to broadcast truths about what went on at the Capitol on January 6th. The cover-up that appears to have gone on is appalling. Uh, Keep the great interview guests coming, and please keep exposing the injustices that the left-leaning media is so good at concealing. Thanks. Right, and and, uh, to Denny's point, it's not even even just media. This is, like, at trials, lawyers are required, the state is required to provide all of the evidence 
especially evidence that's exculpatory, which means evidence that might prove the innocence of the uh, the defendant or that evidence that the state has in its possession because it has far more uh, powers and tools to obtain uh, evidence. And if they've got some that might raise doubts about their theory of the case, they're still required to turn them over. And so many times we find out after convictions and even sentences and people have been sent away to prison for long stretches, and we find out years later, oh, There was evidence that the prosecution withheld, that they didn't give to the defendants. And that's what this is. I'm not here to defend Oath Keepers. I'm not here to argue the merits of the case. My concern is that these lawyers that were uh, defending these Oath Keepers and who had, had a legitimate case, they said that there there were like four or five of these Oath Keepers, and they were there with this officer, Harry Dunn. And they said, the Oath Keepers said, no, 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 Harry Dunn was acting, this Capitol Police officer was acting crazy. They were like, he was just, he, he was frantic, he was animated, he was yelling and screaming. And there is some cell phone video that has uh, been part of the record where you see Harry Dunn, He's got a rifle around his uh, around his shoulder, hold, held in front of him, and he's talking about taking as many of you with me. And so, in order to de-escalate, the oath keepers get between. They make a sort of a, a five man line between Dunn and some of the protesters who were yelling and screaming and all this. So, in other words, the oath keepers were acting as a buffer. That was their that was their argument. And that was what apparently Harry Dunn said initially, too. His initial testimony in, a, uh, in an interview was back, like, back in May, I think, of 21. He told the FBI that he, um, that he was there with them and that he didn't make any mention of antagonism, didn't say they were antagonistic, nothing like that. Fast forward a few months, and now all of a sudden, he's dealing with, quote, insurrectionists. I read he's got a four-page uh, uh, a document. It's his testimony when he appeared before the J6 committee, and he keeps referring to them as as insurrectionists, insurrectionists, and all this. And the the cell phone video that was shot by the Oathkeeper people uh, doesn't show that. It shows them actually standing there, but it's just such a short clip. And the interaction was six minutes long, and we know that now because of Steve Baker's work and the. Uh, uh, the the closed circuit TV footage that now we see, and apparently some of the backstory there was that former Speaker McCarthy ordered its release. Remember, but then after he got ousted, everything got jammed up and people couldn't release video that they had. They had to get clearances. So they had, all of that Speaker drama that occurred to get Speaker Johnson now. It delayed the release of all this footage. I'm not that none of that was known. I'm not I'm not trying to blame anybody for that. I'm just pointing out unintended consequences. Right. We could have had this information way earlier. Anyway, it's out now. Steve Baker's done the uh, he's done the the TikTok, the chronology of it. You can watch it all. It's at the blaze dot com. And um, 
He's done several interviews, and you can watch the video, and it shows the entire interaction between Harry Dunn and the Oath Keepers, and it was not antagonistic. It was as Dunn originally said it was. Then, when the J6 committee needs some insurrectionists, now he's, he's rewritten his story, which is a problem at a trial because the defense knows of both of his statements. So they're impeaching him on the stand. So he needs a corroborating witness. In walks Special Agent David Lazarus. And Lazarus testifies that he saw Dunn interacting with the antagonistic Oath Keepers three or four times. But, as Steve Baker uh, just told us, and as reported, thanks to the CCTV footage, turns out David Lazarus wasn't anywhere near Harry Dunn and the Oath Keepers. He was in another building, about a quarter mile away. And he was going back and forth, and by the time he got to the site where the... Uh, the Oath Keepers and Dunn were, the Oath Keepers were already gone. Everything's time-stamped. And none of it was turned over to the defense. And so you got people sitting in prison now for 18 years, 12 years, for crimes that this video had a material impact on determining the verdict. And the sentence, by the way. Now, maybe, maybe not. Maybe the jury was... Too far gone, they never would have got a fair trial. I don't know. The problem here is that you've got two officers that have obviously perjured themselves. And you have a Capitol Police Department that apparently uh, doesn't want to even investigate it. Um, oh, I have some developing news here. Apparently, the Hooties have relapsed and are now terrorists again. Yeah, they've now, they're now designated as kind of terrorists. Not full-blown terrorists, but kind of terrorists. And apparently, I mean, they were they 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 were terrorists, and then they weren't terrorists. Like they had, <clears throat> excuse me, they had quit being terroristy, but then they they became terrorists again, and so now they're back on a list of kind of terrorists. The hoodies, kind of terrorists. Uh, no word on the blowfish if they're on any lists, but um, no, it 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 took a direct missile attack on an American cargo ship to make it happen, but. Credit where it's due, President Joe Biden, he's now going to add the Houthi uh, terrorists who have occupied a part of Yemen. They are not the Yemen government, folks. Like They are in Yemen, yes, but they are not the Yemen government. They just took control over part of Yemen. And uh, the Biden administration is uh, going to put them back onto the designated list of well, not really. Um, they're not going to put them on the, on the FTO. See, the FTO is the Foreign Terror Organization list. So if you get on that list, ooh, that's bad. That is, that's bad. That, that was what they were on. They were on the FTO. Trump put them on the FTO. And then Biden took office and was like, you know, can't have that because Trump's an idiot. And anything he does is stupid. So obviously they're not FTOs. So take them off the list. But then they, you know, then they started shooting boats and they hit one of our boats. And so now Biden's like, well, you know what? In, in punishment for that, we're going to designate them as uh, a specially designated global terrorist organization. An SDGT, 
or as I like to call it, the sadukit. Doing business with an FTO means that you get sanctioned, right? If you're an American, you could go to jail. You go to prison for like a long term because you'd be materially supporting terrorism. But with the sadukit designation, well, that 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 actually, you, there's no punishment for that. So really, Biden's really dropping the hammer here on the hoodies, you know? Jazz Shaw, hotair.com, says those excuses are another pile of malarkey. There were only two reasons that Joe Biden yanked both terror designations from the Houthis shortly after taking office. One was that the designation had been put in place by Donald Trump, albeit very late in his tenure. So anything done by the bad orange man must itself be bad by definition and be undone. The second and probably more pressing reason was that the Houthis are funded and supported by Iran. Joe Biden was, and remains, desperate to get into a deal with them. And it was a deal that Donald Trump had scrapped, making it all the more tempting to old Uncle Joe. Right? So you got the two components here. I, I, I agree with Jazz Shaw. Number one, it was something that Trump did, so it had to be undone. But you have this other layer with the Iran connection, and so Trump scraps the Iran deal that you know Obama uh, was so proud of and all of his aides and everybody else. And so can't have that. So we want another deal. And so let's do a solid for Iran. And they're back in the Houthis against the Saudis. Oh, by the way, the Saudis apparently yesterday or today, they said they're ready to recognize Israel. Iran is big mad. Big mad. 